What? All right. Come on, I'm not Dave. All right. Okay, so how is everybody doing this morning? Okay, all five of you that are here, awesome. Okay, so uh, today I get the opportunity to share my testimony with you. Uh, spoiler alert, it's not my testimony, okay? This isn't my story. I'm going to be featured in it, but uh, this really isn't my story. So you will learn what I'm talking about here as we go through this. Uh, Is everybody awake now? How many of you are here now? We need to roll that back again, Caleb, because they're still not all here. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look a little bit through my life, through my childhood. Ben is one of the five that are here. So, uh, let's take a look at my life and see uh, where I'm from, and where I was born, and all my siblings and everything. So, this is me as a baby. Uh, I was born in Tennessee. My dad was in the military, uh, so he's at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, on the border of Tennessee. Uh, Fun story real quick. Uh, When I was born, the doctor's note says that I was born in Montgomery County, Kentucky. There is no such thing as Montgomery County, Kentucky. It's Montgomery County, Tennessee. My birth certificate says I was born in Tennessee. We go to get our marriage license. It says, where were you born with your birth certificate? Well, doctor's note says Kentucky. Birth certificate says Tennessee. My future wife freaks out. Figure out the rest. So I was a, uh, as you can tell, I was a pretty chill baby when, uh, when I was little. I mean, it's obvious that I was. Uh, so growing up, we lived in Kentucky for a little bit. So as I was little, uh, you go to the next slide here. Uh, obviously, I have a great beard. I learned to shave when I was little. Had to get that in when I was young. Uh, we lived in Kentucky. That's me and my sister there playing in the snow. Yes, in Kentucky there is snow, unlike Texas. You get a flurry, we think it's snow. No, guys, it's not. Uh, I made a life out of uh, playing in the mud. Fun story about that. Afterward, instead of bringing me inside, my parents put me in the trash can and washed me off. It's like, so. Uh, so, next slide here. Things I was into when I was little. I loved the Ninja Turtles. And... Hulk Hogan. Don't judge me. I am from the 80s and 90s, okay? Everybody loved Hulk Hogan. So I had a Hulk Hogan cake. See, exactly. Do you know who John Cena is? Okay, Hulk Hogan was the John Cena of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. No, that is Hulk Hogan. See, you all. Are you all born after the year 2000? I think so, yes. Yes, you are. Okay. We'll go to the next slide here. Uh, so after we, lived in, uh, after we lived in Kentucky, we were actually, my dad got deployed to Germany. So we lived in Germany for a little while. Uh, but before we went to Germany, we went back to Oregon. So the top left photo, that's, uh, that's me and two of my siblings with my mom up in Oregon. We lived there for about six months while we were PCSing over to Germany, which means you're changing your station. Uh, 
In Germany, these, last two, these next two photos are photos of us in Germany. They like to go on long hikes in Germany. They gave it a fun name. They called it Volksmarches. So it was basically, hey, let's go and march for miles, and we'll make it fun. Uh, so there's us marching around, and for some reason, we decided to take a break, sit on logs, and watch babies fall off logs. I don't know whose kid that is. So, and apparently, nobody else standing around really cared. It was just like, hey, look at this kid. He's falling. Uh, so these are photos of me and my siblings in Germany. Uh, we lived there for about four years. That was before we moved over here. Uh, there was four of us at the time, and I didn't learn. I learned how to ride a bike in Germany. Yes, it is a pink bike. It is a girl's bike. The boy's bike was not in the budget, so don't judge me. All right, so next slide. Uh, here we moved back to Texas. We moved to Texas. We've been here 22 years now. That's what I would say. We moved here when I was nine. Do the math. There's my age. Uh, so top left photo, we went and visited uh, all my family. They're from Oregon. So that's basically four generations of my side of the family. Uh, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my dad, and myself. Uh, both my great-grandfather and grandfather are no longer with us right now. Uh, Right-hand side, well, that was us when we first moved. Well, a few years after we moved here to Texas, there was four of us. But then all of a sudden, here comes along another one. Now there's five of us. If you go to the next slide, this is going to be us now. Uh, now there's six of us. So I've got four sisters and a brother. The photo on the right, it's kind of dark, but you can't really see it. But that's basically all of my family, uh, spouses. None of the nieces and nephews are there. There's oh, There were seven. There's going to be eight right now. So there's a lot of them. I couldn't find a photo with all of them in there. It's this great photo. I was looking for it. Couldn't find it anywhere. But it's like all of these people, they're all like this height. But then all of a sudden, there's somebody right here. And I was going to say, you know, which one of these doesn't belong? And, I mean, Leah's sitting over there laughing because she knows it's her. Uh, so if you go to the next slide here, uh, a little bit about us today. I told Leah I was not going to put her in this thing because it was all about me, and she got offended this morning. Since she hasn't seen it, she was like, what? So a little bit about me. Uh, Leah and I say there are only two things that we have in common with each other. Uh, Jesus and the Texas Rangers. So there is us at a Texas Rangers game. We've been to quite a few together, and that's pretty close to the only things that we have in common. Um, I am also a big UT fan. Me and some of our friends went up to Oklahoma to rep UT, and guess what? Leah likes OSU, but she sat with the UT people and repped it, and so Shane, there you go. Uh, top right corner, if you could see the photo a little bit. I have a cat that is obsessed with me. So he, whenever I'm sitting in my office chair working, he'll like hop up and straddle the chair and just sit there behind me. And uh, the discussion is, when I go to New York with you all, who's going to miss me more, my wife or the cat? And it's probably the cat, because he sits at the door whining until I get home. And I was like, but I thought that was you, Leah. And she's like, no. She'll start sending me photos of the cat, and I'm like, okay, all right. What's that? Yeah. He knows her, so he can get away with that. Okay, so uh, if we'll go to the next slide, we're going to, that's basically a little bit about me, and now we're going to talk about uh, basically my three words of what uh, my testimony is like. So Dave basically sent us out this thing, and like, hey, try to keep it to like, Three key words within your testimony. Uh, so my first word is self-righteous. Um, I was very much a Pharisee growing up. I was the good kid. 
Uh, if you go to the next slide here, uh, here is the definition of self-righteousness. It's having or characterized by a certainty, especially an un- unfounded one, that one is totally correct or morally superior. Uh, I would never tell you that I was morally superior, but I knew I was. So it was basically like, I might as well have told you that I was morally superior to all of you, but, you know, this is what I was. So anything you could think of, I checked off the box. Did I drink? Nope. Did I smoke? Nope. Did I go with the girls that do? Nope. Uh, I was homeschooled. Becca knows about this. We were part of the same homeschool group. Uh, Fun fact about that. We kind of knew each other, but kind of didn't know each other. And then I show up here at TBC. She's like, hey, I know you. And I'm like, yes, you do. Uh, So within the circles that I could say we ran, it was kind of this whole self-righteous idea that, you know, if I do everything on this checklist, I'm good to go. And, you know, at this time in my life, uh, I became a believer at 10, um, baptized at the age of 10. Fun fact about that, my wife and I were actually baptized on the same exact day, but in two different states. She was in Hawaii, I was in Texas. We talked about it, we were like, oh, no way. That's kind of crazy. So back then I was a believer, but... I was still struggling with, well, my self-righteousness, thinking that the good things I do will earn favor with God. Um, So the next thing, I'm actually going to go through this actually fairly quick. The next thing was, uh, my second word that I have was self-deprecating. Well, I mean, but isn't that kind of, don't they go against each other? How can you be self-righteous and self-deprecating at the same time? Well, I'm going to get real honest with you all and tell you, here were my sin struggles, because I had secret sins. I had sins that I let nobody know about. Um, I mean, I'm going to ask the leaders here. Throughout your life, leaders, raise your hand. Who had secret sins that they dealt with, and they never told anybody or anything? I just So if you all look around and you see all the leaders, everybody's raising their hand. So I want to tell you, students, you're not alone when you think that, oh, I got a secret sin I can't tell anybody about. Well, all of us have. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the bombshell. My secret sin that I struggled with for so long and never told anybody about, well, it was pornography. And the reason I can share this with you all was because the first time I came across it, I was 13, I think. It was an accident. But then later on, when I turned 14, well, guess what? That was my sin struggle. And that was my sin struggle for a long time. And so, uh, if you go to the next slide right here uh, for that self-deprecating, the definition. This is uh, one of the definitions for self-deprecation. is a self-deprecating person knows their own weakness and shortcoming and isn't afraid to point them out, often in a humorous way. I was very humorous, but I never told anybody about my struggle. This next part here is where I really struggled with. Uh, When being self-deprecating goes too far, it can become self-loathing and self-sabotaging, which are less amusing forms of putting yourself down. I was very much self-loathing. I was very much self-sabotaging. Well, why? Because I had a sin struggle that I thought I could overcome, and I wasn't able to. So I would go through, you know, I'd go through a few days or a few weeks. Oh, yeah, I'm so good. I'm not doing this anymore. Well, guess what? Oh, there he goes. You fell again. You did it again. And so this whole thing in my mind process is going back and forth. I know I am righteous, and I know I'm better than everybody because I'm not doing all these outward acts or anything, but in my heart I am lusting after 
almost any woman that I could think of kind of thing. And then that starts playing itself out in pornography. Well, here, here's one of, the, uh, one of the reasons behind that was I was very prideful. I was very proud that I was a righteous person. Uh, second thing about my self-deprecation was I was very proud in that too. My idea was that I can be better than I am or I should be better than I am. So one of my roots of sin here was pride. It wasn't just, oh, you're looking at pornography. That's not just the sin there. My sin is that I'm self-righteous. My sin is that I'm prideful. And therefore, I am lusting after these women, and I'm looking after pornography, and I'm continuing to do this. And I, think, I keep thinking that I can overcome this, but I keep going back to it. So why do I keep going back to it? Well, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, if you go back to, if you go to the next slide here, uh, this is the verse that, you know, growing up, everybody told you to memorize. If you're dealing with lust, this is the verse that you memorize. Uh, Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully after a woman. Okay, so I sit there, and I'm beginning to think, hey, you should go do this sin. So I think about this verse. I have made this covenant not to look lustfully after a woman. And it's not helping. Let me do it again. I say it again, and I say it again, and I say it again. Okay, so what is the thing that is on my mind? I'm going to go look lustfully after a woman because I keep thinking about this. Uh, but this is the really big verse that I, I had, and that like any of the books that tell you, hey, you're struggling, with porn, you're struggling with lust, you're struggling with porn, here's this verse right here. But for me, it never helped because it's like, I'm going to point out the key words here that I was looking at. I. That is the key word that I was looking at. I made a covenant not to look lustfully after a, no, after a woman. And so, what I do? I relied on myself, and I continued to try and work through that on my own. Uh, this next verse here, uh, we have uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is another one that I worked on memorizing. It says, No temptation is overtaking you, uh, except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Uh, so, my interpretation of this text, if you go to the next slide here, is God won't give you more than you can handle. Who all has heard that saying? Oh, all of you have heard that saying. Let me ask you this. Uh, if you go to the next slide, is that really what that text means? And is that a good saying? Is that a biblical saying? No, but here's how I interpret it. I interpreted it. I interpreted it as God won't give you more than you can handle. So I'm sitting there. Okay, it's still just me. Nobody else knows about this sin. It's just me. My thing is that I won't do this. God won't give me something that I can't handle. I will be able to overcome this. Well, well, here it goes. The same old trap over and over. Okay, I'm not going to do it. Well, I did it. Oh, I fell. Uh, let me repent. Let me say this again. Uh, but wait. Am I really repentant if I keep going back to it? No. And so I keep going through this cycle of this sin that I'm dealing with. Nobody knows. Only I do. Why can't I get out of it? Why am I not good enough? Why can I not do better? Here comes the self-deprecating. I kind of hate myself right now. So if you go to the next slide here. So... 
I don't know if you all can read this or anything, uh, but I'll read it for you. Uh, this is a lyric from a song. I'm going to give Elby and Chris a shout-out right here because they know who this is. This is a beautiful eulogy here. Uh, and this part of this song resonates so well with me and my story. Uh, so it says, Oh God, my sin is great. There's no escape in it. I hate my sin, but I still partake in it. I become numb to the touch from feeling it. I've learned the art and skill of concealing it. I might pretend and keep my composure, hoping never to disclose the truth that it exposes. And even though nobody around me knows it, God, you notice it. And when I'm alone, it shows it. I do a good job doing good deeds. Look the right part because I say the right things. Trust in your word and what's best for me, but it seems that I still live in disbelief. I begin to do better, understand confession, what I understand, the weight of my sin and its effect and how it's a direct reflection of my selfishness, and recognize your correct assessment. I don't have to hide behind my own pride, tear myself up from the guilt inside, because I've been given everything I've ever needed to stand clean and forgiven when I receive Jesus. Uh, Can anybody relate to those lyrics? So, how many of you have something going on in your life you don't want anybody to know about? something that's tearing you up. I'm going to actually ask leaders, how many of your lives are actually like that? Or have been like that? I'm going to ask youth to, to, to do something real quick. If you all close your eyes and raise your hands, who struggles with something similar to this? Sin that's like this. And it's just like, hey, I got this sin in my life. And, man, I have no idea what to do with it, what's going on in me. And it's this struggle that's just eating away. All right, you all can put your, uh, put your hands down and open your eyes. What if I told you that just about every single one of you raise your hands? So this is something that I came to realize after a while. This verse that I previously talked about, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. What's it saying? It's saying, your sin struggle is not unique. I was afraid to share my sin struggle with anybody because, well, guess what? Back when I was growing up, this was the sin you did not commit. This is the sin you did not talk about. This was the sin that it's like, if you did this, you were the dirty person. You were the dirtiest person. And so it's tearing me up inside. I am this person. Everybody knows I'm good and everybody thinks I'm good. And yet going on in my life is I've got the dirtiest sin problem going on. So this whole cycle is tearing me up on the inside. Uh, So if you go to the next slide, Caleb. Word three. This is my third and final word. This is one we're going to look at the most. Uh, Grace. It's this time that I started coming across certain verses and looking more into Scripture that I started to understand grace. Uh, If you go to the next one here. This verse I came across, Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Question becomes, how do you renew your mind? Uh, we're actually going to come back to that. Can we go to the next one? Uh, this next verse that I came across, uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Uh, 
So really what we want to know is, what is the context of these verses? What are these verses telling us? Well, what we're going to do is, we're actually going to look at some more verses. This is my last slide here, but we're going to do a lot more verses because, I mean, I was running out of time to put this all on the slides and everything and stuff, and I was just like, man, this is so much. We're actually just going to start digging in. Uh, so we're going to look at here real quick. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians 9.8. So 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This kind of addresses my first issue, my self-righteousness. Am I the one doing these good works, or is this the grace of God at work in me that is enabling me to do these works? Uh, next verse. I'm going to go through a lot of verses here real quick. I've got like five more to go. So we're going to run through these real quick. Uh, Philippians 2, we've got 12 through 13. So Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, this goes back to my original issue, my self-righteousness. Is it me doing these good works, or is this the grace of God doing these works within me? Uh, next one, Romans 7. So we're going to look at Romans 7.15. So along this time, I'm starting to understand, okay, this is the grace of God in me. This is him causing me to do these good works. But there's still this issue of pride. There's still this issue of lust going on within me. Uh, here's Romans 7.15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do what I don't want to do. Well, that's kind of a little bit of a tongue twister. But what he's saying is there's this desire in me to do something that is right and pleasing to God. But... I don't do it because I am always sinning, and I got this heart of sin within me. Well, that's, that's Paul. Paul's an apostle. Paul's one of, the, one of the greatest Christians of all time. I mean, he wrote over half the New Testament, so obviously he is. But if Paul can struggle like that, and I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I am so self-righteous. Uh, later on in Philippians, Philippians 3, Paul starts giving his whole resume. He's like, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. I am a Jew of Jews. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I have done this. I have persecuted the church uh, for the sake of God. I have done all these things. I am righteous before God in works. And so I'm just like, I'm just over here. Uh, I, don't, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do this. And it's like, well, dude, but you're missing out on a lot of things. Compared to Paul, man, you are wicked. And that's what this verse is telling me. And that's what I'm starting to understand now. Okay, things are starting to click here. Okay, I am not righteous. This is the grace of God at work in me. I'm not the one who desires to do these good things. What do I desire to do? I desire to go look at pornography is what I desire to do. And that's what I kept doing. So how do I change this desire? Uh, Ephesians 2. We're going to look at 2, 8, and 8 through 10. 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So any good that I do is not of myself. The only thing of myself is, hey, let's go sin. All the good of me has come from Christ and his work. So here I'm starting to understand more and more. This is Christ. This is the one who's working in me. And then something starts to become apparent. A lot of the I is starting to be removed. The verse, Job 31.1, I made a covenant not to look lustfully after this woman. Well, all of these other verses don't necessarily say what I do. All of these verses are talking about what God has done and what he's doing in me. That way I may act out in this manner because of what he's doing in me. These works that I have, the good works I do, they're not mine. I didn't think them up or think that, hey, I can do this because, you know, I'll be good for God. No, God prepared that beforehand. That's exactly what this, this says. And yet, I wanted to take credit for all of that. And yet, God was like, no, I did that for you. It's like, okay. Uh, we'll look at another verse here real quick. Let's look at, uh, go back to Philippians. Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So what we're seeing here throughout all of these verses is there's this grace that's at work in us. Like Jesus is at work here. Uh, and it says that, verse 6, He who began this work in you will complete it, will bring it to completion. Um, meaning that this sin that I'm struggling with, uh, I'm going to throw this out there real quick. Uh, does anybody know, what does the word irresistible mean? Does anybody know? Throw it out there real quick. This is okay, you can interact. Irresistible. You can't resist it. Here's a, here's a truth that I found. Sin is not irresistible. This verse basically tells me that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He is working in you. These good works, he is working in you for you to perform these good works. When we sin, what are they? Well, they're bad works, is what they are. What Jesus is doing, he's renewing you. What was that? He's renewing you? He's making you new? This goes back to Romans 12, too. He is renewing your mind. Wait, didn't I say we were going to come back to that later? But we've been talking about it actually this whole time. But how have we been talking about this whole time? By getting into Scripture. What Romans 12, 2 is telling us about renewing your mind is it's saying get into Scripture, learn Scripture, because it's going to change you. The work of Christ is going to change you. How do we know the work of Christ? Well, you get into Scripture and you look at it. What is he doing in my life? Philippians tells us what Christ is doing in our life. Romans tells us what Christ is doing in our life. Philippians, again, is telling us this. Ephesians is telling us, and it's not just these books. It's every single book within Scripture. It tells you of the work of Christ, even in the Old Testament. Christ isn't in the Old Testament. Yeah, he is. 
Read the Bible backwards. Not literally. I'm saying view it through the New Testament and you'll see Jesus in the Old Testament. It's been about him the whole time and the work that he's doing and the work that he is now doing within you. So it's funny. I came across this quote this week uh, about, from Augustine. So Augustine's this really old dude from a really long time ago, around the year 200 to 300, somewhere in there. So what he said is uh, about this verse, about the works that Christ is doing, that, that we are doing, he says, we do the work, but God works in us the doing of the work. So meaning that God is working in our hearts so that we may do these works for him. Um, we're about to wrap up here real quick. Let's take a look at one more verse here. Uh, I want to look at Second Peter 1, 3 through 7. This is actually one of my favorite verses uh, because this verse actually takes me out of the equation and actually tells me how everything works within my life uh, and how Christ is working in my life. So you start in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Let's stop in verse 3 real quick. Who, does, who, who did the work? Christ did. How did he do it? Through his divine power. How do we know this? Through knowledge of him. How do we gain knowledge of him? Through scripture. So what is, how how do we overcome these sins or anything? We know Christ. We search the scriptures. What is Christ doing in you? My problem here was that I'm focusing on, let me not commit the sin, let me not commit the sin, let me not commit the sin, and I keep repeating it to myself, yet the only thing I'm focused on is this particular sin. Is that what Christ is telling me to do? Does Christ tell me, focus on this particular sin? No. I'm being told, focus on the work of Christ and the work that he he has done, he is doing, and what he will do in my life. Uh, Let's finish this real quick because we're going to see what he does to us and for us uh, through the knowledge of him. We're going to pick up in verse 4. It says, uh, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be fruitful? It means, fruitful means to be doing good works, the good works that he has prepared for us. So what the scripture is telling us, again, be in the word, because the word's going to change you. Knowing what Christ has done and what Christ is doing starts changing our outlook on life, starts changing how we struggle with our sins. Uh, What I wanted to share with you is, I got two quotes here. Not actually quotes, because I made them up. So here you go. Here's some quotes for you. Uh, First one, I told you, sin is not irresistible, but grace is. When Christ begins a good work in you, he will continue it. Here's the thing is Christ has declared you righteous. 
It isn't that you won't struggle with sin anymore, but it's that he's changed your nature, and now he's working in you to do these good works for him. Uh, So when I was thinking about this quote, I kind of thought, well, what if everybody doesn't even understand this quote? So I'll say it again. Sin is not irresistible, but grace is. I'm going to put it in a different way. Uh, I grew up in Colleen, so... I'm going to put it how we talk out there. Uh, so here it is. Temptation's a beast, but God is so swole we press on. You all like that? You're not from Colleen, so it's okay. The guys out in Colleen will like that. So, but here is, here is the thing, is that when we struggle with sin, we struggle with these temptations, oftentimes it feels like we have to give in to it. That's what I mean when I say that it's irresistible. That's when I, what I mean when I say this temptation's a beast. We feel like we have to give in to it. We feel like it's going to devour us. But when I say that grace is what is irresistible or that my God is so swole that I can press on, it's that he has done this work within me. He has defeated it at the cross. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. I put my trust in him I look through the scripture, I find what he is doing and what he has done, and then I can go back and I can understand a scripture like Job 31.1 where it says, I have made a covenant not to look lustfully after a woman. How can I do that? It's because it's through Christ. It's that Christ is doing the work. It's not, Job wasn't claiming that he was the one doing the work. When we look through scripture, when we look for covenants, do word search, look for covenants throughout scripture. Man never holds up his end of a covenant. Abraham didn't do it. Adam and Eve didn't do it. David didn't do it. Every single time, it was God upholding the other end of the covenant. Both ends. Both the end of God and the end of man. So within me, I can try to say, I'm going to make a covenant not to look lustfully after a woman. Well, guess what? I'm not the one doing the work because, well, guess what? Like like Paul says in Romans 7, I'm going to go back to it whenever I want because that is my sinly desire. But here's what we know on the other hand is that God is doing a work within you. Depend on him. Get to know him and what he is doing. It will completely change your mind and how you view things. That's what Romans 12, 2 is telling us. The renewal of your mind is knowing God. And I'm a testimony to that, is that if you know God, what he has done, what he is doing, it's get to know scripture, get to know doctrine, the scary words doctrine and theology. Study that. Find what it means. Because, man, I was riding my, my old church's coattails and my parents' coattails forever until it was like, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? That's when everything started changing. That's when, hey, guess what? This struggle with sin became real easy. Well, I'm not going to say real easy. It became easier. I never tell people I don't struggle with pornography anymore. I tell them, no, I struggle with it. doesn't mean I look at it. It means that if I give it an inch, it's going to take a mile. It means that I'm going to always be fighting it. But how am I going to fight it? With the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Christ, what he has done. Because it takes everything, it takes the focus off of me, it takes the focus off of sin, and it puts all the focus on Christ. So when I told you all, this testimony is not about me. That's what I meant. I'm just a part in this story. It's Christ and his work that he's doing within me. So, you got questions at your tables.